What is nutritional anthropology? Um, nutritional anthropology is the study of human subsistence, diet and nutrition in comparative, social and evolutionary perspective. While subsistence and food were topics of interest when reporting on everyday life of different groups and societies by early anthropologists, specific interest in the primary role that food and nutrition play in society emerged only in the 1930s. Studies of hunger, land use and diet in northern Rhodesia by Audrey Richards in the 1930s were seminal for subsequent ecological studies of diet, subsistence and nutritional health, as was Margaret Mead's work on food habits and dietary patterns in relation to nutritional health during World War II. When nutrition became an important factor in international development in the decades after World War II, Anthropological interest in nutrition as it relates to subsistence and health grew. Following this, Margaret Mead was an early analyst of political economic inequalities in food availability and nutritional health from the 1970s onwards. With increasing globalization, anthropological concerns about modernization and dietary change among the world's populations grew. The more or less concurrent emergence of evolutionary ecology stimulated new biological-anthropological approaches to human evolution, which foregrounded nutrition, foraging and subsistence as important keys to understanding reproductive success, another strand of nutritional anthropology. Nutritional ecology, which relates food and nutrition of different societies within ecological frameworks within the growing field of medical anthropology, also emerged. Um, around this time in the 1970s. These various concerns were to gel as the subdiscipline of nutritional anthropology more formally by the early 1980s. Ellen Messer, in 1984, summed up the field at the time in this way. Anthropologists have long been interested in human diets and specifically in the ecological and market availabilities of foods, the social-cultural classifications of foods as edible or inedible, um, rankings as preferred or less preferred foods, and rules for distribution. And anthropologists have also been concerned with the nutritional and medical consequences of particular cultural consumption patterns, including patterns of food sharing. Subsequently, Nutritional anthropology embraced the study of relationships between environment, ecology and food, nutrition and society, human evolution and biological adaptation, and the biological anthropology of eating and of food habits. It also framed problems of undernutrition and of obesity as integrated biocultural ones and brought a range of contemporary problems under its scrutiny. These included food security, breastfeeding and adaptation, food as it relates to the body and personhood, and of food systems from social, biological and biocultural perspectives. It went on to consider social and political factors that drive dietary change and nutritional health, including globalization, migration and inequality. At the same time, it continued to develop deeper understandings of the evolutionary and contemporary biological-anthropological underpinnings of human nutritional health. 
Nutritional anthropology has developed a varied and integrated set of approaches to the complex and constantly changing relationships of, human, of humans and the societies in which they live, and in relation to food. <laughs> so that's the history of nutritional anthropology. But what does this subdiscipline really concern itself with? In nutritional terms, humans are the sum total of their evolutionary history and more recent epigenetic and social pasts, as well as their present-day social, cultural and biological life histories. Many factors influence food preferences, dietary choice and nutritional health of populations, including evolutionary, ecological, social, cultural and historical ones. Therefore, the methods employed by nutritional anthropology are diverse and range from ethnographic, sociological, historical and archaeological ones to nutritional, epidemiological and anatomical ones. Human societies have undergone many transformations, most of which have involved transitions in diet and in nutritional health, and nutritional anthropology attempts to document these changes where possible. For most of their evolutionary past, humans have been foragers, subsisting on plants and animals gathered and hunted in the wild, ancestral hominins having been able to subsist on a diversity of food resources. From between around 7 and 2 million years ago, human ancestral hominins became feeders from a range of trophic levels. This continued into the Paleolithic period between around 2.6 million years ago to the origins of agriculture around 10,000 years ago, <clears throat> when hominins, including humans, increasingly foraged using stone tools in hunting and gathering. The transition to agriculture saw widespread adoption of crop planting and animal husbandry in several centres across the world, more or less across the same time period. With agriculture, the diversity of diets declined dramatically for most populations, leading eventually to most groups subsisting on a very small range of plant and animal species, a phenomenon that continues to the present day for the majority of the world's populations. The intensification of food production at the origins of agriculture led to many changes, including irrigation of crops, the formation and expansion of settlements, increased physical workloads of human populations, the specialization of economic production, and economic and social inequality. Seasonality, whether of rainfall or temperature, or both of them, guided subsistence patterns for hunter-gatherers and systematized work patterns for agriculturalists according to the types of plants and animals they domesticated. This set the pattern for agricultural production that persists in many parts of the rural, less developed world to the present day. The transition to agriculture from hunting and gathering was characterized by radical economic, societal and technological changes that eventually saw agriculture become the dominant subsistence practice for the majority of the world's populations. Archaeologists and nutritional anthropologists have shown the transition to agriculture to have been less than straightforward and not a simple result of the food needs created by increasingly large, increasingly urban populations, nor was it likely to have been due to a single prime mover such as climate change. Permanent year-round settlements were a feature of the new agrarian economies. 
Living together in close proximity allowed existing disease agents to intensify their infection of humans and for animal-borne diseases to cross the species barriers into humans, creating new problems of pathogenic infection. Sedentism allowed humans to live in a more material world than ever before, allowing the ascription of value to, to goods beyond their immediate functional value, allowing their use in marking social distinction. Food, as the most primary of symbolic goods, is likely to have been used in this way by early hunter-gatherers, especially in relation to meat. Such social use of foods has persisted to the present day, and it's found in all societies, often playing out in differences in nutritional health. The sec the symbolic coding of food has been elaborated to a high degree, especially in the second half of the 20th century, when the development of global food cultures and of systems of food retail and marketing accelerated. For nutritional anthropologists, understanding the deep social embeddedness of food as a symbolic good helps determine how nutritional health is produced in relation to modern food systems, where symbolic value is an important issue for food manufacturers and marketers. Modern food systems carry vestiges of the past, and this is another area of study for nutritional anthropology. The dominant products of agriculture now, cereals, legumes, and a small number of animal species, have been selected for through the practices of traditional farming and animal husbandry and more recent scientifically-based production. Understanding how foods have been taken up by different groups since the origins of agriculture and how diets have become increasingly cosmopolitan in the past few hundred years are key issues for understanding diets, food security and patterns of nutritional health now. The impacts of poverty and low socioeconomic status on, on undernutrition in the contemporary world are well known, and this is also an area of concern for nutritional anthropologists, as are the relationships between socioeconomic status and obesity. Global inequality in nutritional health in the present day is very obvious, with undernutrition and obesity often sitting cheek by jowl within the same communities. Social and economic inequalities are likely to have been have conditioned nutritional health from the origins of agriculture onwards. It may well be that many populations experienced health challenges, but these were accompanied by increases in fertility rates and population growth, which created a Neolithic demographic transition. Similar phenomena are evident today in some developing economies, where poverty, poor health and food insecurity often continue to go hand in hand with high reproductive rates. This may be one reason why humans are, access, uh, are a successful species biologically, as they're able to reproduce rapidly in unstable environments. The net evolutionary result of the adoption of agriculture could therefore be an increase in evolutionary fitness rather than maladaptation, despite some negative effects on individual health. Cooking. Cooking is likely to have emerged at least 800,000 years ago, possibly longer, and was key to important transformations in hominin dietary behaviour. Hominins able to use heat to modify food would no longer have been constrained to eating foods in very similar chemical states to those found in the wild. 
and would have modified their subsistence conditions rather than having to respond directly to prevailing environmental conditions. This would have promoted differentiation of diets even within the same species, as different hominin communities would have developed distinct ways of preparing foods, thereby creating distinct dietary niches. Cooking would have helped to establish regional traditions, preferences and eating behaviours after the origins of agriculture too. Some early cultivated crops and domesticates, such as squash and maize in Mesoamerica, chickpeas in the Middle East, rice and pork in Southeast Asia, and taro and banana in New Guinea, remain distinctive elements of the cuisines of these regions to the present day. So, there are several themes in nutritional anthropology, and I want to turn to give more attention to some of these particular themes. So as nutritional anthropology has continued to deepen understandings of food, diet and nutrition in evolutionary framings and map them onto contemporary issues of how foods are structured by industrialized processes and globalizing cuisine and to consider how food consumption patterns are structured by inequality, modernization, globalization. So this deepening has resulted in specialist approaches to diet and nutrition and this now includes evolutionary, ecological, cultural and political economic framings and methods, often attempting to integrate two or more such approaches when investigating human nutrition in a social context. While nutrition and nutritional anthropology theory continues to develop, particularly in relation to evolutionary medicine, Issue-driven nutritional anthropology, as first described by Margaret Mead in 1943, continues with practical engagement with public health nutrition. Food production, supply, consumption and education is highly political, and some approaches in public health nutrition place emphasis on such structural issues. The anthropological understanding of food in its social and ecological contexts, however, offers an alternative view beyond the functionalist one of food as a vehicle for the delivery of nutrition. The field of evolutionary medicine, for example, frames human illness, disorder and pathology in a distinct evolutionary framework, emphasizing that diseases arise from inevitable compromises of evolved bodies interacting with novel environments. Many advocates of evolutionary medicine view present-day environments as changing faster than human physiology can. Since human form and function change slowly and must respond to rapidly altering dietary circumstances, evolutionary medicine places emphasis on evolved predispositions that become maladaptive in present-day contexts, as, for example, the tendency among many to binge eat when faced with plent plentiful, palatable food. In both public health and evolutionary medicine, nutritional anthropology informs the debate, particularly in respect of the understanding of the evolution of human diet and how anthropology can help understandings of humans should eat now. It informs the debate by critiquing nutritionism, that is, viewing foods as being vehicles for nutrients, which can be combined in myriad ways to meet the needs of individuals, individuals and populations, 
and the assumptions of nutritionism in structuring approaches to modern and industrialized diets. Nutritional anthropology also informs the debate in public health and evolutionary medicine by examining, examining dietary and phenotypic flexibility across the life course in relation to nutritional health and survivorship. It also informs the debate by looking at the ecologies of present-day undernutrition and obesity and describing those in uh, anthropological framings. So, when thinking about evolution and the human diet, how can anthropologists inform what we should or might eat? At the time that nutritional anthropology was becoming established as a subdiscipline, Boyd Eaton and Mel Connor in Atlanta in 1985 put forward their idea of the Stone Age diet. The Stone Age, usually synonymous with the archaeological Paleolithic period, is broadly the period in human prehistory from the first appearance of stone tools around 2.6 million years ago to the origins of agriculture around 10,000 years ago. When people at that time lived in hunting and gathering societies. By collating and quantifying nutrient intakes of contemporary hunter-gatherer groups using the human relations area files and showing how similar these intakes were to the United States recommended nutritional guidelines of the time, Eaton and Connor promoted the idea of dietary recommendations for good health based on an idealization of diet in the Paleolithic. The ideas underpinning the Stone Age diet have gained popular traction in some quarters because they offer the prospect of being able to consume a natural diet that humans are best adapted to and which therefore must be the most healthy. Nutritional anthropology has critiqued the suppositions that underpin the Stone Age diet from evolutionary and ethnographic standpoints. As an idea, the Stone Age diet has stimulated critiques of present-day nutritional norms and contemporary industrialized diets, as with Michael Pollan, for example. In this context, food guide pyramids for the United States prior to the 2000s have been deconstructed by Marin Nessel and others as representing political rather than health interests. The Stone Age diet idealizes the Paleolithic period as a time of optimal nutritional health. Diet of high quality in the Paleolithic is likely to have allowed the intake of quantities of most micronutrients at levels several fold greater than the recommended daily allowances of the time and of the current reference daily intakes. And this, as the proponents of the Stone Age diet suggest, might be much more in tune with good health than minimum requirements. Setting minimum levels of nutrient intakes for populations underpins food production goals for nations and regions and creates the conditions for the industrialization of food supplies based on scientific principles. This has facilitated the idea that new foods may be synthesized from chemistry as well as from agriculture. There have been various reformulations of the Stone Age diet and it continues to be a focus for critique of present-day industrial foods using evolutionary principles. Recent developments in paleoanthropology, population genetics and epidemiology have increased the certainty about evolutionary processes related to diet, the time frames in which they took place and how they inform our knowledge of contemporary human diet, 
and nutritional anthropology continues to feed the debate about what humans should eat and how they should eat. Turning now to how nutritional anthropology critiques the contemporary nutritional obsession or nutritionism. Um, nutritionism, um, as a topic in its own right, has emerged in the last 10 years or so, maybe less. Um, and the idea of reducing food to nutrients pervades all aspects of public health nutrition. And the importance of this particular mechanism, this particular device, is that it opens the possibility of fixing nutritional problems by technological means, such as food fortification, or by pharmacological means through nutrient supplementation, as well as through dietary change. Nutritional anthropology examines the links between how subsistence is practiced, what foods are seen as appropriate to eat, and how nutrition is constructed from foods, industrial products and supplements in many industrialized nations. From an evolutionary perspective, human diet and nutrition serve reproductive performance and reproductive success. A good diet, therefore, is one that promotes fertility, child survivorship and healthy adult life and longevity through which offspring and their offspring can be supported. The recommended daily intakes to some extent take these considerations into account in the way that they structure nutrient requirements according to age, sex, body size and whether or not a woman is pregnant or lactating. However, their criteria are based on physiological norms and health rather than reproductive success. It's an important distinction. The requirement for nutrients varies across species, between populations and from individual to individual. And the recommended daily intake is a population-based statistical estimate of nutrient requirements. It's based on the premise that for most nutrients, apart from energy, it's sufficient to meet the needs of 98% of healthy individuals of any given population. The recommended daily intake is set at two standard deviations above the mean for normally distributed physiological nutrient requirements because this takes account of between individual variability in requirements for different nutrients. It's therefore um, a population construct which is applied to both populations and individuals. Nutritional anthropology is well placed to critique the fit of the recommended daily intake construct beyond the bounds of industrialized society. In most prehistoric contexts, it would have been impossible to obtain a constant level of nutrient intakes from day to day, across the year, or from year to year. Very few groups show no variation in quantity or types of foods eaten, either from day to day or across seasons. The industrialized countries, such as the United Kingdom and the United States, there's often less variation in types and amounts of food eaten during the usual five-day working period than there is during the two-day weekend, if you have a two-day weekend. There's often great seasonal variation in foods eaten and in energy intakes of agro-pastoralists and agriculturalists practicing traditional forms of subsistence. Another critique of the recommended daily intake construct lies in relation to the nutritional cost of infectious disease and the ecology of nutrition-infection interactions.
For example, children can undergo growth faltering due to inadequate food availability and exposure to infection and show catch-up when these stresses are removed. The energy and protein costs at the peak of infection in a child are often very high and the overall nutritional costs of infection are often very high among societies where the local disease ecology is dominated by diseases and disease categories such as malaria, diarrhea and respiratory infections. Science and technology studies approaches, STS, have been used to critique nutritionism in public health and policy practice. Now, I want to consider nutritional anthropology in relation to dietary flexibility, phenotypic flexibility and survivorship. The whole issue of, of plasticity, flexibility, is core to thinking in terms of nutritional ecology and nutritional anthropology. Humans have used their technical abilities to harvest, process and consume a very wide range of foods, including meat, to help inhabit a very wide range of environments. Inter and intra-individual dietary flexibility has deep evolutionary roots and permits survival in circumstances where technologies have not been able to buffer against food insecurity. Environments can change across a range of time frames, years, decades, centuries and millennia, and humans have adapted to cope with this across a range of timescales. Diets of members of the genus Homo, including modern, modern humans, are characterized as being of high quality and high energy density, often within varied menus of foodstuffs. The emergence of cooking as a practice transformed dietary quality, making foods more digestible, palatable, while reducing their potential toxicity. The ability of prehistoric humans to find and compete for high-quality foods available in most environments, such as meat, honey, eggs, berries, for example, along with their ability to make food more digestible through processing, would have been fundamental to being able to survive in all parts of the world. Understanding how foraging strategies have shaped survivorship, health and well-being, as well as reproductive success among past hominin and human populations, has helped understandings of human eating practices and feeding behaviours now. Energy has usually been the major limiting factor in foraging, and the study of energy-linked fitness has helped identify how the drive for macronutrient consumption shapes overall diet quality. Thus, the preference for energy-dense foods, often dense in protein too, as with meat and fish, would have reinforced their importance in the diet. Phenotypic plasticity manifest in phenomena such as low birth weight, growth faltering and subsequent catch-up growth facilitates the exploitation of changing and changeable environments while minimising mortality due to low food availability. This is a key area of study in nutritional ecology. While fundamental to human survivorship and success in the past, phenotypic plasticity has become maladaptive in parts of the contemporary world experiencing epidemiological and nutrition transition. Here, plastic responses to poor early life environments have left individuals and populations at greater risk of chronic disease later in life. 
The developmental origins of health and disease concept, DOHAD, hypothesizes that chronic diseases that develop later in life originate in utero by environmental fetal programming. Epigenetic regulation during fetal programming prepares an individual for the environment they expect to enter at birth and beyond. When there are changes in circumstances, as with nutrition transition, chronic disease pathology is enabled. Humans have evolved in a way that can respond genetically through natural selection, phenotypically through developmental plasticity, and epigenetically, by a balance of both of these, to changing dietary and nutritional circumstances. Removal of energy stress and uncertainty, as has taken place in contemporary industrialized societies, also turns these adaptive processes to thought towards pathology. An area of promise for nutritional anthropology for the future lies in understanding how social processes may shape genetic expression in the construction of nutritional health and disease. Another area that's informed by nutritional anthropology, which I want to turn to now, is the ecology of undernutrition and the ecology of obesity. Both Undernutrition and obesity are manifestations of extreme energy imbalance at ecological, societal and individual levels and are well studied by nutritional anthropologists. In the past and among societies practicing tr traditional subsistence now, fluctuations in energy balance have been and continue to be the norm rather than being deviant, especially with seasonal swings in food availability. Non-seasonal, long-term food shortages that were also experienced in the past, reflecting ecological stress due to a range of factors, including climate change and the overforaging of resource areas. Long-term positive energy balance is not usually found in nature, nor is obesity. Modern human populations with assured food supplies and controlled reproduction are able to express an uncommon trait, that of prolonged and extreme body fatness, often to the point of pathology, as with obesity. Nutritional anthropology has examined how contemporary food systems, both global and local, can influence tendencies to both undernutrition and to obesity and sometimes to both in the same communities or households. Political economic factors frame nutritional health at local and individual levels by determining what foods are available to buy and at what prices. Economic inequality, therefore, is a major determinant of what can and can't be consumed. The industrialized food system has penetrated most parts of the world and promotes consumption often in ways that do not promote health, health, as the foods that the industry produces in greatest volume are energy dense and usually high in refined carbohydrates, including sugar and of fat. Humans, however, have the most highly developed neocortical regulation of appetite and food intake among mammalian species, which also confers the ability to discern different qualities among foods and appreciate them in an associative manner. This human neocortical development has also allowed complex sociology, sociality, intelligence and unskilled engagement with the world and with other people. Food consumption facilitates sociality 
and the use of food for a mix of nutritional, social and symbolic reasons results in the production of nutritional health or nutritional ill health. In present day industrialized society, energy intake of individuals is regulated less by availability and more by cognitive restraint. There are only weak physiological homeostatic mechanisms to prevent weight gain. As overwhelmingly social eaters, human eating decisions, how, what and when we eat, are powerfully influenced by social contexts. Through meals, humans embed feeding in social structures which are given material expression through kin and household. Meals are central to social structure and group identity. And an anthropological understanding of obesity includes the study of social patterning of food consumption, as with the work of Claude Fischler, as well as an appreciation of how body fatness is valued in society, as with the work of Alex Brewis, for example. So, in sum, I hope I've been able to show um, how nutritional anthropology is, is, is structured as a subdiscipline, and in that, how anthropology is important to the study and understanding of food and nutrition in society, both past and present. Thank you.